And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. Always a pleasure to have your company. And it's been a little bit of a while, but we've got Philip Hunt back at the microphone in real this time. It's not an archive like I did uh, the other week. So, Philippa, you are back from all your travels and you've got so many stories to tell. But we're actually going to go back to first principles. And what I wanted to talk to you today about is something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I know you are too, because you've launched something called Wise Girls Money. uh, And there's an academy associated with that and a whole Mm. bunch of things. So what we are doing today, ladies and gentlemen, is we are talking about financial education. Mm. And so the very first question I've got for you, Philippa, is enough being done in school? Nope. Short answer. Okay. So I always used to have this thing when I was in the army. You used to have this terminology called completed staff duties. Anybody can come up and say, hey, I've got a problem. But it's always nice when somebody comes to you and says, listen, I've got a problem and I've got some ideas on how to solve it. So throw back to you, Philippa. What can we do to solve this gap in financial education uh, in our schools at this point in time? Well, here's an interesting anecdote. Many years ago, I rang up my old school and the registrar at the time, I went through school with her and Jane said to me, I think that's a great idea talking about credit cards and managing interest rates and credit cards in general to the year 12 because these kids are 18 and they can sign for one. Put it through to the principal who came back and said, doesn't fit our academic curriculum. And that's Mm. the response that a lot of schools are giving And a lot of people have attempted at various stages to get the Commonwealth Bank out of schools with their Dolomite programs, um, converting them to lifelong customers with the um, piggy banks and all those things many years ago. Well, they still Uh, do it because all my three kids all had Dolomite accounts when uh, they went through primary school. Well, that's fairly recent. They've managed to get the bank out of the schools. But the thing is that They're so short-staffed with teachers, now they're flat out getting maths teachers and they've got art teachers teaching maths. Well, I I might also add there, Philippa, I was on um, my local uh, public school PNC. I was president and vice president for a combined period of probably close to 12 years. And one of the things that when when you do that kind of volunteer work, I got to know my local principal here at Bilgola Plateau. And given the fact that we are a Northern Beaches community radio show, mm. this is very local. I mean, they're mm. just around the corner here in, on the Plateau. And I got to know the teachers there very, very well. And they laughed and said, Ray, it's not that we don't want to do this stuff. She said, mm. you know, Sharon Sands, who was the principal at the time, very nice lady. And she said, look, we want to f- do all of this stuff. But she said, nothing comes out of the curriculum. She said, everyone mm. wants to stuff stuff in there. Mm. She said, the curriculum hasn't slimmed down. You know, you can't put something in and then something comes out. Mm. They just keep piling it in. And she said, mm. do you know how many extracurricular afternoons kids have? And believe me, you know, even though my kids have been out of school now for close to, you know, seven, eight years now, my youngest, I, I can attest to this. They're just forever being deluged with all this additional stuff. So, mm. Philippa, is there a is there a kind of thing that you know we could go to? Uh, I, I mean, I remember as a member of the FPA, the Financial Planning Association of Australia, and they had a volunteer for schools program. And so I put my hand up. And same thing, I went to my local uh, Baron Joey High School. Great principal there, and I was I was president of the band committee there actually. And I said, listen, I'm a qualified FP. Why don't we run some of this financial literacy stuff? And 
And Mr. Bowsher just came back. He said, Ray, we'd love to, but there's not one minute spare mm. in the curriculum at this mm. point in time. That's right. So it, it's, no. I don't think there's a lack of will. No, that's true. And the other thing is that the education department doesn't value it. Oh, I think because that's a little did, harsh. Because if they did, they would make the I effort. I think that's harsh. I well, think that's harsh. Sorry, but I was an educator in schools myself, Ray. I was a teacher. Okay. Well, you got me on that one. I'm, I was only a parent volunteer, so mm. you know, I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you the the trumps on that one. But I, I got to say, when you think about all the additional curriculum stuff that's now in there, when it comes to uh, additional programs around bullying, around uh, sex education, around social media, all of these additional programs come in. And now, if somebody said to me, Ray, would you prefer, for example? You know, is it social media or financial education that you should be teaching your kids as a priority? You can only have one. I'd have to say to you, I'd probably say, you know what, teach them about social media because that's that's having such a huge impact. Mm. And so it's always a, a real struggle when you've got these priorities to, to have to worry about, wouldn't you say? Well, the other thing is, what do we do with the parents? Get rid of them, I reckon. <laughs> Well, the thing is that people are only taught that what they're role modelled. Oh, in the family I, home. So I, I, I sorry. Um, I, I guess I've got to withdraw my my flippant remark. It was meant to try and be a joke, but no, you're mm. absolutely right. Parents have to have, I, I think, a very very key element. Uh, and mm. um, you weren't with us at the time, Philippa, but probably about two years ago, I did. Um, I did a number of shows with the FPA, in fact, and they had this wonderful program about kids and money. And they split up the kids from the ages from five to eight and then eight to 12 mm. and then 12 to 17. And they had different strategies and tactics to employ on how you would teach kids the value of money and credit cards and mm. blah, 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 blah. And so you're absolutely right. Parents have to be a real integral part of this. Mm. So how do we do this? Well, it's the thing you've got here, and because I used to teach English as a second language, I had access to different cultures. And one of the things I noticed as a financial planner, I'm going to say this as a blanket statement up front, <laughs> okay. that when I was dealing with the Mediterranean countries, the only thing that interested them was blocks of flats and real estate and property. And when they came out as migrants and they saved as much money as they could scratch together back in the 50s and 60s, they went out and bought a block of land and built a house. Then they all piled into the house and they built suburbs. And so... Sounds and like the, my family. <laughs> yep, and they did, and that's how they did it. So they would only ever have something they can see, touch, feel, insure, paint, they didn't understand the share market, and obviously a lot of them because they didn't have English as their first language. So property, and I can remember some of the most struggling migrant families would all pool together and they'd help each other um, keep putting money together to actually buy a place, and then the next one would go out and help another one. So that way they built up property portfolios, but they helped each other into housing. And that was back then where housing, of course, was a whole lot cheaper and it wasn't regarded as an investment. In fact, I can remember in property investment didn't become vogue until after the recession in the 1990s when interest rates started to come down. And I baby think neg boomers. Negative gearing, negative, the negative gearing. They did. It did. But Australians didn't see property as a speculative investment until the late that's, 1990s. That's very true. 
And so when the interest rates started to come down, they started to thinking about what else can I do for my retirement? And the baby boomers might have had very high interest rates, but the house prices were very low. So, I mean, when you're talking about, I can remember in Brisbane, a house in Cooparoo was worth $25,000 if it was an old tin and timber up on stumps. And um, because the first house I ever rented for $55 a week, they bought the year before for $24,000. And the decent house that I bought, bricking up on a hill, was only $54,000. But the mortgages, the interest rates were 20%. So now the the banks were shoveling money into the economy via housing at 2.5%, and they were lending to whoever who would put their hand out for it, even if you only had 5%. And the banks have driven this real estate nuts case. So in terms of... um, in terms of financial literacy, the one thing that I think it's Edith Cowan University, correct me if I'm wrong, they put out a paper on Hilda. Um, Nathan sent it to me a while ago. And the one finding that came out of that, the financial literacy actually starts at home. And it's the parents. I totally agree. I if the totally, parents totally sit agree. down with the kids and work through saving, spending in terms of money in and money out and teach them how to budget. Um, and, of course, budgeting has now become the focus with the cost of living going nuts. And just in the last, since the rain, remember, what was it, Ukraine was attacked? Yeah. Um, the, the whole world economy shifted. And I so guess that's that's where, that you know, kids things. get involved. Yeah, kids get involved with mum and dad and doing the groceries and all that kind There's of also, stuff. There's also, do you remember that thing we did on Finn Influences not long ago, financial yeah, influences? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, one was stung by ASIC and clobbered by ASIC the other day and fined. I don't know whether he's going to go to jail, but he moved markets, as they call them. As the, um, Moving a market means that it's a dump and pump. What do they call those scams where they build it up, yeah, build it up, yeah. sell it on, and then they they call it, make a killing yeah. and Boiler take rooms. the stack. Yep. Yeah, they do that with crypto quite a lot. That's it. Well, they got him. Now, what they've also done is that they've gone on to ASIC, as we discussed, ASIC got to them and said, you have to take down your affiliate links, you have to stop advising, you have to, anything that looks like advice, clean out your videos. But that has left a heck of a gap. So what these um, finance influence, when they're only in their 20s, they basically go onto some kind of Google or um, ASIC um, Money Smart website and they rabbit on in these very short TikTok videos which point them, the yeah, viewer, rehash, yeah. yeah, rehash it onto their longer videos on their YouTube channel to build up a following. So they will actually talk about the things that you can do, um, like this um, one of them um, is a young woman. She was on Current Affair about shopping around, and she has a lot of followers, which she built up, but she had to actually stop doing what she was doing because she was clipping the ticket on the way through of crypto. So now she's gone into um, getting onto Current Affair and all these other places um, and she's all of, what, 23 or 4, like a whole lot worth, life's worth of um, – but the thing is what she does is she simply gets basic information and translates it into something that young people can understand, but it's only waffle. Well, and the problem you've got, in my experience of being an educator all my life, the thing with financial literacy, Ray, is this. You can only talk about facts – you cannot teach someone how to do something or what to do so it doesn't move across into advice. And that's where these, this has now created a, a real problem because 
you can teach someone about budgeting and do this and do this and do this and do that, and that'll save you money. This is a profit and loss. This is how you do your savings. That's as far as they can go. Mm. And so when I created the academy, because I am an advisor, I've got my own licence, I can actually teach skill. So I can teach them how to do their own research. I can teach them not only what the words are in terms of financial literacy, what we would call jargon, and how to understand what compound interest is, and they actually learn to do, wait for it, da-da, financial mathematics. There you now, go. Now, before you scare the daylights out of people no, and well, we're, talking we're, about we're, maths. Well, we, we, we need to Mummy, do a little Money bit is numbers. It is, it is. Now, look, on that note, it's uh, time for a short break. We're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital, and I'm here at the microphone with Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money. And it's time for a station announcement. We'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital, and I'm here at the microphone with Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money, and we are talking about financial education. Now, before we went to our break, Philippa, uh, and all the passion that I can usually stir up in you and uh, when we start getting to talk about money and how we might be able to help people become better educated – we were also talking about how, with Dolomites, Combank uh, has finally uh, had their claws on their monopoly in the schools uh, sort of dis- dismantled. Now, my second question to you is, are banks, are banks, and we're talking now, let's be specific, we're talking the big four. Now, we're on community radio, and mm. we usually don't talk about brands, but I think, ladies and gentlemen, it's pretty obvious when we talk about the big four banks, we know who they are. And so I think, you know, given the fact that they still do dominate the marketplace today, are they a good place to go, Philippa, for uh, education? My instinct is to say yes, and then my instinct is to say no in terms of conflicts <laughs> of interest. At the same time, yes. Because with the banks, the banks own the fund managers, and these robot advice are simply artificial intelligence apps that are on your phone. We'll get to robot advice a bit yeah, later Yeah, I'm just saying program. that's where the banks are going to go more, Ray. Yeah, because they don't want human beings involved. Correct. Because they, 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 they cost too much money, right? And they but the thing is, on the rare occasion that I've had to do it to transfer money into state and all this sort of stuff, I've actually had to go to the branch. And they are a place where people can actually do the oddball transactions that people sometimes need to go and do, like when you're dealing with wills and estates. You actually have to front up. And so banks dumped all their advisors because of the Royal Commission back in 2019 and threw them out on the street. The gap that that created for our industry was that they were the training ground for incoming advisors. We don't have them anymore. No. So the other thing that the banks did was to get rid of not only the advisors out, but they're desperate now to try and sell their product that they can't sell through advisors any which way they can. So the only education that the banks will do is about themselves and their own products and um, gussy it up with some kind of glitzy-looking program. And the problem I have with the fund managers is they are owned by the banks and have been since the early 2000s. And so we found in our industry, problem with our legislation was that when we tracked it through as to why we've been smashed by the Liberal government, is that when you consider that, and we've got the facts and figures to prove this right down to the last cent, because it was dug out of the Australian Electoral Commission website, 
$44 million was donated to mostly to the Liberal Party. Um, Two-thirds of that went to the Liberal Party and a third went to Labor and all other parties um, by the banks to politics. So it might go a long way to explain why banks who don't want advisors on their books, but they've got to find a way to sell their product. So they don't get involved in education. Right. Um, They're mainly involved with apps and ways of getting it into the phones and into the hands of young people because that's the way they communicate. I mean, some of those iPhones and phones are surgically grafted to their hands. (laughs) And honestly, um, and so the banks... The banks are caught in a bit of a no-man's land in that sense because they did have advisors. Um, They were the training ground for us and now they're not. They've got to get their products out into the marketplace and they're going digital. So everything's shifted once ASIC got involved with financial influences and now they're struggling with um, digital advice and robot advice because technology is outstripping the legislation, can't keep up. I guess that's what happened with crypto. Now they're struggling. And you know what? One of the crypto guys, what, what was his name? The American guy just lost $800 million of his fortune when the share price tanked. Um, starts with S, Ray, you'd know him. And now the banks have been caught up in buy now, pay later. All the shares of those. BNPL is starting to unravel big time. Totally now. unraveled just in the last week. So, I mean, these are fascinating times because what we're talking about is really, you know, a a market, a a, a financial industry in monumental shift, but they're Mm. scratching their heads wondering how can we keep making the killing that we've been making for the past Mm. 15, 20 years? And one of the difficulties I think that we face in this particular country with our own sector is that the big four banks have been making monumental elephant-sized profits. And and when you look at the top 10 profitable banks on the planet, the big four are in that top 10. And why? Because they've had the gold pavement laid out for them by successive governments. And I Mm. include both sides of the house in this regard. And certainly even Paul Keating, as as our famed treasurer back in the 90s, talked about the four pillars uh, principle about having a strong banking sector. And it's served us well in that regard. But the difficulty that I have with this serving well is that they're serving themselves far too well. Mm. And we have a situation right now and that they don't believe that it's in their own interests to reduce their profits and make their services a little bit more amenable to mum and dads and all of us out there because their shareholders are going to get pissy with them. Now, I'm just sitting Hang there going... Just, you know so, the major the, shareholders are? The, 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 yeah. the bank executives and their I share options that. and their but salary the, package. But the thing that we seem to be forgetting, and it's not just in the banking sector... Okay, we're not talking about the energy sector. We're talking about the airline sector in this country. We're talking about a social license that companies that operate in this country, their social license is not just about paying taxes. It's also about doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a breadth that when I did my company director's course probably 10 years ago now, and I have a master's degree, ladies and gentlemen, I've studied this stuff and I sit there and scratch my head going, how much more profit do we need to take? Because the companies of today 
are making 35 to 42% profit, whereas 15 to 20 years ago, they're only making 23 to 27% profit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've got workers that have keep, keep going backwards and business yep. saying they can't afford to pay them. The $1 an hour that we couldn't give to aged care workers, according to Scott Morrison, before we bundled him out of office. But the profits that are ha- being handed out to business today are anywhere between 40 to 60% better than they were 20 years ago. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. And the thing is, because the interest rates were so low and people buying, recycling these available properties because the interest rates are so low, people thought they could afford them. As soon as the geopolitical um, shift happened in February and we got smacked with a lot of natural disasters, um, everything started to unravel very quickly. Well, and anyway, we, we need to move on. So we've said so we can we, do. I, I think we can ass- we can assume right now. I don't believe, and certainly you don't, that banks are a good place to go and potentially get a financial education or at least Absolutely a start. Not. Now, I have on my third question here. What about building societies and credit unions? Now, well, they outsource their financial planning uh-huh. to bigger practices. Is that, a, a, particular good, is that a good thing or a bad thing, do you believe? Well, all we're trying to do is to provide cost, low cost um, to them right. um, services because they're not usually not for profit and their profits go back to the members. So they'll that, actually that have a large... That sounds okay then, doesn't it? Yeah, but that, you've got to remember that financial education is not something people terribly value. Now, Gee, um, that, that, up to this that, point... That's a big more, statement. That's it a is a big, big statement, statement because... If they valued it more highly, we would it would be in our face. <laughs> and look at it this way. I've been educating all my life at every level of education, university, educating my clients and working with them over the many years. And I've set up this financial literacy and skills competence for women because they can't afford advice when you've got a statement of advice costing $5,000. So I figured out the best thing I could do was to equip these women with the same skills that I have okay. so they can do their own research. They learn the language that I speak. So when they get together, they are like a group of women investors and early fledgling financial advisors. Well, i, I got to say, in that regard, Philippa, you know, the reason I came across Karen and uh, – and, uh, uh, Karen and Lisa, that's right. Gosh, sorry, Lisa, if you're listening to this. <laughs> Karen and Lisa used to be my collaborators. And the reason we got involved with each other in the show, I mean, Karen uh, and I have been long-term friends because our boys went to school together. Now, when uh, she introduced me to Lisa, and Lisa has this fascination for managing her money well because mm. she divorced a guy that couldn't manage, manage money properly. And the real irony of all of that, he was a financial planner. Wow. And she, she talks about this on Dollars and Making Sense. It's in the archives. So you can go back mm. and listen to it any time you want, ladies and gentlemen. It's hilarious because she said one of the worst handlers of money she, she knew was her husband who was a financial planner. Now, my point is, though, they started Facebook groups where they would simply get together as a tea and coffee kind of forum, no mm. different to the voices people, Yoan McKellar and, and mm-hmm. uh, Goldstein, all these. They simply got together with a mutual interest and said, how do you save money? How do you mm. invest money? What do you do? And they simply shared notes. Mm. Now, obviously, given what we're talking about, we need to add another layer of competence on top mm. of that. And that's, that's not... Right. 
that's not discerning against Karen and Lisa saying that they're not competent. They are. But when we are then starting to work with people that aren't competent, mm. then we've got to make sure we're giving the right advice. And all the things that we, you and I talk about all the time around licensing, mm. around making sure it's appropriate and all the disclaimers that we constantly have to do mm. here on this show. Mm. So building societies and credit unions, a possibility, but as you've said, Philippa, not necessarily great. So I guess what we, you know, we're talking 2022 now. We've had a change of government. We've got a new minister, Stephen Jones, who's replaced Jane Hume, and you've had a fair bit to do with Stephen. Yep. I guess where we're at today, and we can't wait for, uh, you know, the current Labor government to necessarily do something today or tomorrow because we've got to, you know, when you, I see the the list of things they've got on their plate to do, I think this is going to be down the, the list somewhat. So where people stand today is, what I'm looking at is they've got to help themselves, don't they? Yeah. Um, I remember when Money Smart was first launched by Paul Clitheroe. I was in the room 2008 in Sydney and he's a tall sort of a guy and he was leaning up on the lectern and he waved his hand in the air and he said, you know what, this is a great site. This is to all the public servants who did the research to start this. And he said, right, <laughs> this is terrific, great site. But it's not going to work unless people learn what to do with the information that they've got. I couldn't agree more. And I thought, but I mean, mate, that, you, you just say, nailed it. You could say that about anything on Wikipedia, for example. That's you know, the point. So when putting people, information in front of people doesn't necessarily make them smart. Well, that's it. And the thing is that it's a great site. You need a sat-nav to get round it. People get confused with so much information. And they go onto Google, which has now become a verb in its own right. Go and Google it, mate. Yeah, that's amazing, um, isn't it? They People then try to make sense of terms they don't understand, let alone how to apply it. So that was the gap that I'm trying to close um, so that people understand what superannuation is. Yep, you put money away for your retirement. What You go through the different kinds of contributions and you see the baffled look come up. Even when I'm sitting with clients and you're working through this because you've got to do this with them, Mm-hmm. There's an added layer of anxiety if they think they have to do it by themselves. That's why they have advisors to do it for them. What I'm trying to do is to move that to the person being empowered to know what they're doing and go and do it. Okay. Well, That's what I mean that, by self-help. So with that in mind, it's time for another break, Philippa. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. You're here at the microphone with Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money. We're going to take a short station announcement and we'll be back. No, it's not. That's all, folks. But we will be back in just a moment. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital. I'm here at the microphone with Philippa Hunt from Wise Girls Money. And today we are talking all about financial education. We've had a great time so far. I had a bit of a mouth slip just before we went to the break, but uh, I'm assured now it's all back in place, thankfully. Now, we were talking before we went to the break about uh, being able to help yourself in the role of the internet. And it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? And you know, We've really got an opportunity to get a tremendous amount of information at our fingertips, but you've got to be able to know what to do with it. Now, mm. one of the things I wanted to raise with you, Philippa, is have you had much 
exposure to and worked with associations. So, and I'm talking specifically about volunteer type organisations. So, the Australian Investors Association is a good example. The Australian Shareholders Association is another good example. And another group I've been involved with up until COVID was the Australian Independent Retirees, which had a self-help sort of finance subgroups in there mm. as well. Have you had much exposure to these kinds of organisations? Not directly, except through my own professional mobs as an advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it comes back to this social community trying to help each other out. Mm. And the thing is that when you get retirees together, they have common experience they can help each other out. They are in the same life stage as each other. Yeah. And so they can speak the same language with their caravanning and the rest of it that they do. So being in retiree um, land, they are not accumulating. So they're concerned about making things last for as long as they can and because they've made their super contributions, they're now trying to figure out how to preserve their capital. So the education with a lot of very elderly stopped at interest on bank accounts. Yeah, so, that's, that's yeah, but I still see their fertile ground for people to learn things because, gee, some absolutely. of the SMSF trustees I come across, I scratch my head and go, wow, they don't learn much at all. They don't. And you got to remember when they were growing up, there wasn't much around. But now the thing is that investments have exploded, technology's exploded, and people are best overwhelmed with, what do they call it, paralysis of analysis. <laughs> Where do you go? What do you do? There's so much information oh, out there. And I, that was I, the whole role of advising think, is to I pick out the best a, yeah. ones for you. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right there. I mean, the, the treasure trove that is available at your fingertips when mm. you go onto the internet is just astounding. It uh, is, and it, it's it, overwhelming. Yeah. It is. It absolutely. I mean, and you and I are in the industry, and people talk to me about, you know, how much reading I do. I mean, I do copious amounts of reading every mm. single day, simply to keep up. And even then, I still feel overwhelmed. And I'm mm. in the game, and so I got to feel. And I've got mates that I swim with and play golf with, and the like. And they look at me and go, oh, Ray, I just can't be bothered. And I'm sort of sitting there going, but you need to be interested. And they say, yeah, they are, they are, but only up to a point. And so yep. you've always got to be able to temper our enthusiasm, Philippa, yours and mm. my enthusiasm around something that we know and love and mm. really enjoy doing for people that just sit there and go, oh, look, just make it go away, will you? Just just give me the returns and get out of my face. I want but to that's go back the whole to point of advising, Ray. Yeah, I don't disagree. Because but- that's why people come so that – they can be free at last and have someone do all the worry for them. They just hit the road and go caravanning four months of the year. And I just the, – the problem is with a lot of these associations like um, what they call the basics, and I'm on one here with the Sydney Community College, and I scrolled through it and I thought, yep, this would be the first two modules of a course for financial advising when it's all in pure theory. Mm-hmm. And I have this itch about theory <laughs> yeah, because I'm practical. Oh. And I look at all of this theory because you have to know and understand and learn to speak the language, right? So you tell me any retiree that's wound up and wants to understand derivatives. Really? Uh, what's your golf score would be more interesting. Well, so I'm when in you're the game these, and der- derivatives do the same thing to me. They put me to sleep as well, i got to tell you. This is it. When you're going through these introduction to the Australian financial markets, 
the equity markets, bond markets, financial economics, statistical concepts in finance. Mate, up there with statistical concepts in finance is the third year of a university course in Bachelor of Business Management Accounting, Financial Management, Capital Requirements of the Firm. You do portfolio theory, analysis of variance, and so you're talking about pure stats. And, and this is a basic and I think course. We, I think we've just lost 95% of our audience just Correct. in the last and 30 so seconds. <laughs> that's my point. When they start teaching this stuff, this is too advanced for a basic course. Yeah. What people want to know is what to do with what they've got. So you start off quite simple. And so the point is that you're trying to educate. It's like baby steps. Children have to roll over, crawl, stand up, walk, then run. And it's the same with financial education because I've been doing this for a long time. Even with the clients I've had for years and years, it's not their thing, but they still have to understand what it is that I'm doing for them. So when I'm teaching women, I walk them through the absolute basics so they go through it step by step. I'm not trying to teach them about financial markets. And while for the theory and the, and the people who are interested in theory, Um, It's great stuff. It's truly intellectually challenging and it's wonderful to be able to speak the theory and the jargon and understand what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. For instance, financial tools and behavioural finance, derivatives, portfolio optimisation techniques, statistics and intuition, behavioural finance, course review. That's upper level of financial advising. So when people come for financial education, what they're looking for is skills-based, right? Hands on, how the hell do I do this stuff? Yeah, that's very practical. Exactly. And that's the whole point. When they gain more confidence, Mm. then, then once they get more confidence, then they can tackle a slightly more so if they want to do that, if they're more interested. When they've got a lot of money and they think, golly, I've come into an inheritance, I want to buy an investment property. (laughs) That's the first thing. Yeah, of course. Uh. Because it's understood. Yeah, well, that's the impact of modern media, isn't it? I yeah, mean, but, dearie it, me. but the point is that people can go and walk into a house. They can walk back out again. It's easy. It's understood. Then they say to me, wait for it. This is classic, guys. Share market's risky. It goes up and down. I said, yeah, so does your house price. You're, only, you're discovering that now. And if you'd sold your house back in January, you'd have got a heap for it. Now you're getting half. And that's the volatility of the housing market, which we yeah. don't see very often. But here's no, the not thing. not in this country. You're right. BHP is one of the largest world-sized companies. A few years ago, their profit was something like $16 billion cash. Mm-hmm. You couldn't fill a house with cash for $16 billion. That's 16,000 houses worth a million dollars each profit. So that's a whole suburb, Right. So when you consider that they are paying out the dividend that they do because they are so profitable, fund managers started putting BHP into their portfolios as a defensive asset. Think about that. Mm-hmm. So I've said to these women as I'm teaching them, okay, if shares are risky, then if you're buying what we call blue chips, you're looking at things like the banks aren't going to be out of business anytime soon. Not with the profits they make. Not in this country, and that's you look for at sure. Things like banks, Coles, Woolies, Bunnings. Do you think these companies are going out of business? 
So when you invest in the shares of these companies, don't put your money in the bank to get a measly rate of interest. Buy the bank shares. Because they're making all the profits. Correct. <laughs> so the shares, it's just a simple move in the mind shift that when you're buying into the biggest com- companies in Australia, they're not going to go out of business. There's no risk. The risk volatility is the market itself. And, and the funny thing is I, I face the same dilemma when talking to people about what I do in bonds and when people say, oh, bonds, are, you know, you don't get much return or, you know, and they keep thinking government bonds. And so I say, no, 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 well, these are commercial bonds. Oh, that sounds really risky. And I say, well, look, you know, there's no riskier than when you lend against the, the mortgage of a house. I said, when mm. when people don't pay their mortgages, what does a bank do? They take the house back. Yep. I said, that's exactly what we do. And and so from that perspective, when I'm simply trying to explain to people around, you know, what we do as a fund manager at OTG Capital, I bring it, try and bring it back to absolute bare basics. And mm. I think you're absolutely right, Philippa. We've got to give context and some pragmatic, uh, I think, approach that sort of says, look, you know, are these companies going to go out of business anytime soon? I mean, you know, today, even though we do these these pre-records, today is one of those days, ladies and gentlemen, the, the share market's been absolutely hammered. And so you're going, to have, you're going to have bad days. But, you know, any financial planner worth their salt will tell you that when you invest in the stock market, you are investing for anywhere between a five to seven year horizon. And so you yeah. don't react, you don't sell off uh, and do reactionary things. And this is why you and I both got so cranky with the Morrison-Frydenberg government during their COVID response when they said to everybody in this country, go and raid your super. Oh, self-fund uh, yourself from us. And 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 that you know, and then by hand doing all that, that money to Harvey Norman and those big companies and promptly and, and, lost it overseas. And, and there we are. And so I sat there so frustrated when mm. I heard this because it was sending the wrong message to people uh, that didn't know better from people that should have known better. And and so here we all are now, you know, two years down the track. These people have taken significant amounts of money out of their super. And that dill brain down in Goldstein, Tim Wilson, who kept on the, you know, let's raid super for our, our home. And Scott Morrison tried it as a last ditch effort uh, just before we bundled him out of office to say, you know, we should be able to allow to, you know, to raid our super. It's like, guys, you know, seriously, go back to when this thing whole started, you know, back in 1996. Look at why it was put in place and look how good it's doing. We've got a $3 trillion industry now in super and we can look forward to hopefully some savings. And, you know, there, there's things there that sometimes will frustrate well, the, the heck out of them. Well, yeah, and that's another story that I think we, you know, that's I, I think another that's, show, Ray. That, that that's another show, and that's another thing on Stephen Jones's uh, to-do list that Jane Hume has left for him. As I read some fascinating articles over the weekend of the litany of uh, detritus that the outgoing mm. uh, ministers have left for the incoming guys. So anyway, yeah. let's let's move on. We've talked about community colleges. We've also talked a lot about government websites, and Money Smart is one that I've always plugged because. I I think it's a great, great service. Now, I want to talk a little bit about when people receive in their email inbox and they're saying, come along to this seminar. It's free. <laughs> yep. We're going to show you how to invest and make money. 
Mm. So, Philippa, what's the first big red flag that certainly, I mean, my alarm bell's going off like there's no tomorrow when I start seeing these kind of emails. What kind of alarm bells go off for you when you oh, see Oh, the them? old property spruikers. Oh, there we go. <laughs> because in you got to remember that property is not a licensed financial product like superannuation. If real estate agents had to be licensed to sell properties the way we are, they'd go out of business overnight. And no one would be <laughs> no one would be allowed to sell their own home. So property is not classed as a financial product, and that's why you had all of these builders and financial planners all cozying up with solicitors and accountants to set up self-managed super funds and flog these products in as um, um, bear trusts and. Um, investment properties in super funds and ASIC suddenly sat up and said, hang on a minute, what's going on here? There's a bit of a racket because everyone was clipping the ticket. And there was one here on the Sunshine Coast they've actually managed to persuade that um, they are actually giving advice via their accountants and it was a bit of a – I think it cost $15,000 just for the service to buy an investment property. It was was a real setup. But anyway, they've gone. But the point is that – the other thing was that years ago, a long time ago, I got went along to this so-called free seminar and they were flogging those um, ASICs, cleaned them up too. Timeshare? Oh, gosh. You're looking at the I, – I, I got done by that. I, I got done by that when I was 22. I was an army officer. Ago. Yeah, I was an army officer, timeshare. Now, I actually like timeshare. I think it's a great concept, but the people that were selling it, my God, the biggest bunch of spivs that you've yeah. ever met on the planet. And the interesting thing is, Ray, that it was always high pressure. Ooh, you don't buy time. now, you'll lose out. You won't get this opportunity again. And they create this whole thing of pressure and scarcity. Yeah. And I remember years ago oh, when I was still living in Sydney, I worked for an outfit. They had their own licence. And they were they had a, a boiler room that bought and sold shares for their clients. They didn't do very well. Then they teamed up with a bunch of mortgage brokers somewhere up in the Hunter Valley and whose head office was in Newcastle. And I would go up to – and they were tied up with developers who were building properties out in East Maitland or somewhere. And anyway, they had these higher interest rates and they would pressure these – pre-retirees into buying investment properties. And I remember sitting there with this couple who were probably in their 50s and I took one look at her and I'm listening to the high-pressure sales techniques going on. I said, just a minute. And I said to this woman, are you sleeping at night? No, I am not. I am worried sick that we won't be able to afford this. So I said, stop your processes, please. So I sat with them as an advisor rather than listening to this spiel about the loans and the lending and the LVRs and what have you, that the language that these people didn't understand. And they thought that they were um, it was they were over leveraged. So anyway, she started she said, I'm having not in my sleeping, I'm having blood pressure problems. Oh gosh. God help me. Yeah, you gotta So move anyway, on. I went back to the office in Sydney and I lost my job because I stood up for these clients and said, what you're doing is wrong. This particular client cannot afford this property. You can't engineer this loan for his income. They they are too old to take on a 30-year mortgage. And I said, so I wrote a four-page file note of the entire conversation, the transactions, and they fired me. Yeah. 
Simply because, yep, because I told the truth. Yeah. In any case, that that firm fell apart and was were clobbered by not only the AFP but also the the ASIC. Um, I won't go there and talk about it. But the point was that the the seminars, um, if they're run by a financial advisor. And there's been a huge shift in legislation that's going to benefit your clients, like the downsizing rules. You can hold an educational seminar for your clients in that age group and explain to them how the rule change, what it means for them and their future financial planning, so that when they're trying to sell a big family home to go into aged care, then you have an aged care specialist there. Yes, That's they're different. very age-specific. So these yes. these are the kind of things, I guess, ladies and gentlemen, what we're saying is when people are advertising for free seminars on financial products, read the fine print, I think, is the best thing. And I always tell people, caveat mm. emptor, buyer beware, because yes. nothing is free when they're putting on the tea and coffee or the like. And that's the reason why, I guess, more often than not, the reason I like some of these associations, Philippa, and having had personal experience with the Australian Investors Association, their whole motto was about investors helping other investors. It's a purely volunteer organisation. So the people that you'd meet there day by day and go to the, the meetings and the, the discussion groups, they're all there as volunteers. They're not being paid by a finance company. They're not being paid by an insurer or a bank. They are simply volunteers that have time on their hands. And I volunteered there myself because I was simply looking to learn and also hopefully get a bit of a profile for my new fund. And so let's move on a little bit. Uh, the last, um, I guess, set of people that you know we would hope that would help us with education is accountants and financial planners. Now, we've talked about FPs quite a lot. But one of the things I wanted to mention today about accountants, there have been a lot of rule changes for accountants too, haven't there? Yeah. Um, ASIC cleaned out a lot of their limited advice AFSLs that they were offering years ago. Yes. Because so, the rules have become so complicated, accountants are saying, I either do one or the other. And so accountants can't give financial advice unless they're specifically licensed to do so, ladies and yes, gentlemen. Yes, that's correct. Please be aware of that. So they're not going to necessarily be a good place to learn. And the other thing that people also should be aware of, that even when an accountant gives an opinion and does his or her work on your behalf, you are still ultimately responsible for whatever advice they give you in Mm. front of the tax office. And I learned that the hard way Mm. when I got audited a number of years back with my own SMSF. I sat there and said to the ATO, but my accountant said it was fine. And they said, yes, but you're still the trustee and you are still responsible. Correct. So, look, we're just about out of time, Pip. I guess we've covered a lot of really fertile ground today. And I think um, I I always have this little sign up on my desk. It's an old Ron Barassi quote. If it is to be, it is up to me. You know, 10 two-letter words that uh, mean a lot to me. And I guess, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be educated about finances, you've got to do it yourself. You know, parents, teach your children. Um, Philippa, you know, there's the one thing that I, I certainly hope that, you know, my kids will look at their father and say, well, at least I could always go and ask the question. And, you know, I, I guess I would praise and without sort of you know, a shameless plug, I would certainly praise the work that you're trying to do in the advocacy and also in the education space 
for women that need this kind of assistance. So any final thoughts before we say goodbye today? Well, I think if you're going to attempt to find financial education, starting off with an advisor would be an option if that's unaffordable um, and you're trying to find out the basics. It's about, as you say, go onto the sites and see what you can dig out. Um, most people go onto social media. They go into Facebook or TikTok. Mm-hmm. And then what we're finding now, since I've been doing such a lot of research in the area, TikTok is becoming a very large player in education. It's bigger than Google now for yes. destinations. So it's yes. actually got more eyeballs now than mm. Google. They just passed yep. them last week. Yes, and not only that, I've read a fascinating article which had me absolutely riveted on the weekend about the way they're trying to bring TikTok into the education curriculum as far as videos are concerned and teaching um, and the way the brain works, which, of course, is my field. So I'm now exploring that myself and thinking if you're going to reach younger people, that's the way to go about doing it. Well. I guess it's a a great topic for another day. Philippa, thanks so kindly Mm -hmm. for your thoughts and time today here on Dollars Making Sense, and uh, I'll bid you a a, a fond farewell. (laughs) Thanks, Ray. Cheers. All the best.